Good morning. This morning's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5 and we'll begin reading at verse 13. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the team here, and it is a joy to be with you all. And if you are wondering why I've brought up this very trendy bar stool, uh, it's not so much because I'm trying to imitate Jesus and his sort of teaching, or even Mike Pilavachi. Um, but I did a marathon yesterday, and I'm not sure my legs can hold me for 20 minutes. If you want sort of proof, this is the, uh, the little finishers medal. That's really, it's really not necessary, but that's it's very kind. Shall I pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this wonderful passage and the opportunity to hear your voice, your word to us through it. We ask for uh, your spirit's help as I speak and as, as we listen. I pray that you'd grow us, bear in us the fruit of your spirit. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've been wondering, have we forgotten how to queue? Now, we Brits are known for our love of queues. We're excellent at it. I think we, we pioneer, we lead the way. Um, but a few incidences over the last 48 hours have just made me question, has our love gone too far? We were, um, Claire and I did this marathon, half marathon yesterday, the Thames Meander, and uh, Claire told me, I thought this was hilarious, that um, there was this long, long queue for the, um, the Portaloos. 
And if you've done a race, you'll be familiar with, um, with the scene. You know, a small number of portaloos and a huge, huge queue. Anyway, this queue sort of went one way, sort of towards the start line, which is where I'd gone ready for the marathon. And uh, Claire said there was a group ahead of her who, it was only when the queue sort of took a right angle towards the portaloos, realised that it wasn't just the queue for the start line. And they'd spent 10 minutes sort of queuing for the start line, only to realise they'd wasted their time queuing for the portaloos. A great example of, of patience, but completely wasted. Zeal is, is great if in the right direction. So this morning we're looking at the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We're continuing our series. Last week we looked at love and joy, and this week we carry on in, into peace and patience, or as I'm going to refer to it, long-temperedness, which is a bit more of a mouthful, uh, but I'll explain that shortly. We're going to have three parts to the, to the sermon. First of all, we're going to just ask kind of why fruit, why fruit of the Spirit, why here, why now? And, uh, and then we're going to look at peace and long-temperedness. So, why fruit? Why does Paul list the, the fruit of the Spirit here? Well, Galatians is a fantastic, fiery letter, and I'd, well, I'd highly recommend uh, taking 20 minutes to, to read through it. Um, he skips the usual thanksgiving right into this Gentile church and is straight in. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. And it goes on like that. And to very briefly, if you're up for it, to briefly sort of outline how we've got to Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. Basically, Paul's writing to a Gentile church where a number of Jews have come in and said, you're doing very well, but to really live the Christian life, to really please God and be saved, you've got to fulfill the law. You've got to keep these certain requirements. And Paul is having none of it. So he doesn't pull any punches. And having explained that the law was there simply to uh, restrict, to limit transgressions, in, in the meantime, while the promise was waiting its fulfilment in Christ, um, he, uh, he says, you know, you're called to be free. God has this, this desire for us to live a life, you know, his way, by his spirit. And now we, we don't need the law. We're filled with the spirit. And, uh, and he's saying, don't, don't go back. Don't sort of try and fulfill the law. Be filled with the Spirit, live according to the Spirit. But then the question comes, if we don't have the law to shape our lives, to kind of show us how to live, if we're called to freedom, as Paul says, then what does that look like? Freedom is sort of scary. What do we do with it? And Paul seems to know, seems to know me very well because he says, do you not use your freedom to indulge the flesh? That's, that's our temptation, isn't it? If we're free, well, we'll put our feet up, enjoy life, and we know that we're forgiven, all good. Um, but he says, no, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. So I say, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And then he goes on to paint this picture of a, a war being waged within, within us, the acts of the flesh um, kind of raging on the one hand and in conflict with that is the spirit and, and God's way for us. And perhaps you'll recognise that, be familiar with that in your own life, the moments of conflict day to day, particular crisis moments when there's sort of a, something in front of you. Do you go this way? Do you go that way? Do you sort of turn to rage and sort of follow that old path? Or do you pursue the, the way of the Spirit? So Paul exhorts here the fruit of the Spirit. That's how, as, as Christians, these are kind of the ethics of, uh, of the new creation of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why we've come to the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's a question, why fruit? Why that metaphor? And I think we, we can struggle a little bit with this, particularly, you know, I do. You know, central London, I don't do much. I don't have an allotment. And uh, so if I want some fruit, I'd pop to Sainsbury's Local or um, maybe a Waitrose Little if there's one on, on route or Bailey and Sage if I'm feeling decadent. And if I want fruit, you know, I pay... 25p and I've got my banana and we can wonder that as Christians we're told we've got the spirit and that there's fruit that will come but we can wonder where is it why haven't I seen it yet where is this fruit and so we can find it hard to read this hard if we're not seeing fruit hard if we're sort of battling a particular temptation a particular struggle or have been for weeks months or years but perhaps we've forgotten that fruit takes time it's it is inevitable that fruit will come where the Spirit is, but it takes the seasons, it takes digging and planting and tending and protecting and watering, and fruit will come. So I hope that's an encouragement to us this morning as we look at these two facets of the fruit of the Spirit. So peace. The Greek word is Irene, if you like a bit of Greek. And that inspires a couple of, uh, of our words. And actually, there's a name, um, Irene, which means peace, or Irena, um, comes from this Greek word, Irene. And there's an adjective too, which means aimed at peace. Uh, and if you've ever used this or even know it, I'll be impressed. The word is Irenic. Um, if you can get that into conversation this week, um, do tell me, I'll be very impressed. And this piece that we have in mind here, I think is primarily an internal piece. I think that's because external peace isn't in, entirely in our, within, within our capability, um, sort of outside of us. But whether we have peace kind of on the inside, that is you know, something over which we have control. But having said that, I think we can strive for peace, but we never actually find it. We can't find it, we can't manufacture it ourselves. But this peace that Paul's talking about, the peace of the New Testament that we see sort of built up in the Old Testament, this um, wonderfully rich picture, it's, it's a gift. And it's, it's not just an absence of strife and conflict and war, but it's something positive. It's, it's actually everything we need for fulfilment and wholeness and well-being. 
And it's a gift we see from Jesus. He says, I don't give to you as the world gives. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. So what does it look like to bear this fruit? Corrie ten Boom, from the depths of the concentration camp at which her father and sister were murdered, said, don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You see, with, without God in the picture, we've got the future, but the future's unknown. We don't know what's coming up tomorrow, this afternoon. Um, and COVID has been a fantastic reminder of that. But we can trust that unknown future to a God that we do know, a God that is loving and kind and for us. We can trust it to him. Last night, um, Claire and I went to Battersea Fireworks. Um, I don't know if any of you were in the 50,000 strong crowd, but um, the, the kind of corral entry tested my peace a little. It was huge, and you know, at times it didn't seem to be moving. And uh, there was a question, you know, would, would I find peace in that crowd? There were these fears in my head. Maybe this is just a scrum heading for the portaloos. Or worse, maybe, maybe there's someone in this crowd who is seeking, you know, might seek to cause harm. You know, there we were. I mean, I haven't seen crowds like that for a year or two. You know, it'd be a great, great way to cause some, some harm. Um, or people potentially getting angry, losing their temper and, you know, pushing to make it into the fireworks on time. You know, they could have very easily switched from a sort of amicable, polite crowd to a, a tossing and heaving one. And there was a question for me, would I sort of trust God? Would I look to Jesus and find peace in that testing moment? Or would I kind of give in to these fears? And uh, I did, I trusted Jesus. And half an hour later, we were in Battersea Park heading towards the fireworks. But there are moments like that for all of us where our peace is tested and we have that choice. Will we trust him? Will we trust Jesus? And we can, we can trust Jesus because he has been through it all for us. He is, I mean, it's, it, he's the embodiment of, these, of this fruit. In fact, it's his spirit that's being described here. The fruit of Jesus' spirit is love, joy, peace. So it's his spirit in us. And if we think of Jesus, he, um, he found peace, he demonstrated peace um, after the agony of Gethsemane as he was being mocked and accused and tortured and hung on the cross for us. At, at that point in the depths of that pain and suffering, he had the peace to say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So Jesus is, is the ultimate picture of peace. And by his spirit in us, we can follow in his footsteps, we can imitate him. 
and be a picture of him to each other in the world. As I've already sort of alluded to, God grows our peace through testing it, through challenging it. And we don't always like to hear that. It's not a comfortable truth. But growth happens outside our comfort zone. And I think God takes us to the edge or sometimes just over the edge of our comfort zone to bring that question to us. Are we going to trust him or not? I find uh, things that rob my peace. Perhaps you can relate. Things like, for me, gimmicks, kind of little things, the sort of distractions, nectar points, bonus points, loyalty cards. You know, you could get, get along just fine without them, avios, but, you know, there's that sort of desire to sort of keep, hold them up, collect them, use them. And uh, I find that, that robs my peace. Social media is another big one, scrolling through Strava or Instagram or Facebook. You thought you had a good weekend. And then, you know, you see... The, the highlights of, you know, a dozen other people, and you think, ah, oh, they went for brunch at a better place. They did a faster half marathon. Whatever it might be, and your peace is, is on the line. And how do we overcome that? I think we need to rehearse our identity, remind ourselves who we are in Christ, that we are his, that we're loved, that we're sons and daughters, as of the promise, as of an unshakable kingdom, regardless of the shaking that is going on around us. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with thanksgiving, by prayers and petitions, put your request to God, give your request to God, because he cares for us, he loves us, so we can find our peace in him. I love some of the words that we sung a moment ago. And particularly that verse about as breath draws still and that picture of night drawing near. Do we have peace? Can we find peace in him as we go to bed each night, as we sort of leave the distractions of the day? Do we have peace? And on to our third and final part long-temperedness. Now, I mean, this could be a good point to sort of stand up, turn around, shake ourselves off, just make sure we're all kind of still here, still present. Um, and I'm going to just do that for a moment, just to um, give you permission to do the same. I love the, uh, on a side note, I loved the kind of attitude in, in the army with the officer training call last year, where it was, it was just very upfront. People, cadets, are going to get tired. You know, you're giving them a lesson. They've been up all night. They've had a stag at sort of 2.30. And uh, you know, if you're in this lesson on ambushes or whatever, and you get tired, just stand up. You know, no one's going to, there's no shame, no judgment. Just stand up, kind of you know, get some breath in your lungs. And I think we, we do well to sort of adopt that in lectures and perhaps sermons. So if you need to stand up, um, there's, no, there's no shame. Long-temperedness. The Greek is macrothumia, um, which means big, macro, as opposed to micro. And 
thumos, thymia, um, is to do with anger, temper, wrath. Um, so it means long, large, tempered. As opposed to the, the thumoi, the wrath, the anger, the fits of rage we saw in verse 20. So we've got that contrast. You know, this us, the acts of the flesh, the, the fits of rage, contrasted with God's long, large, temperedness. And I love the, the sort of Hebrew for that word. So this macrothumia is, is how God's described in the, the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And uh, we heard that actually in Jonah 4, if you were here a couple of weeks ago. God, I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you'd be gracious. And that's the same, this word, macrothumia, macrothumoi. And uh, the, the Hebrew for that is um, kind of long, long of face or long of nostril, which seems a bit kind of perplexing to us. Like, what's, what's going on there? And I think the image, you know, when you're, you're annoyed, you're angry, and you sort of, you're kind of inhaling through your nostrils. I think it's that picture that God is breathing in. So, but, but long, it's, you know, it's not a sort of quick burst, but a long inhale. And that, that long inhale is, is our grace. That's his long temperness with us, which gives us the opportunity to repent and turn to him. How long is your temper? It's, um, it's a bit of an abstract question. How long is a piece of string and all that? But actually, I think we could, we could measure it. We could sort of draw a graph even. Um, how long, perhaps in, you know, how many sets of traffic lights um, can you go through or can turn red in, in front of you before you snap and ask, what's going on? Is it just me, like man against the traffic lights? Um, yeah, so what does it look like? Long-temperedness. Well, a couple of examples. I think of my dad. I think of how he very graciously ferried me to university and back for four years. And how, to start with, at the beginning of those four years, he would kind of sit at the car. He'd be ready, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, ready to go. Where is everyone? Where's Sam? Why hasn't he finished packing? Um, but over those four years, I saw him grow in long-temperedness. And instead of, kind of doing, you know, being ready and doing his thing, he'd, he'd turn and help me like, Sam, you know, I know you struggle to pack and struggle to be ready on time. Can I help you? And was just super gracious. And I was, I, and that's the work of the Spirit in, in his life. I was listening to a podcast of um, Springsteen and uh, Barack Obama, um, would recommend. And uh, they were chatting about being interrupted at home when they were working. And I just thought it was, it's such an everyday picture, isn't it? I mean, we've all been working at home and, you know, kids come in or there's distractions, irritations. And, uh, you know, it's annoying for all of us, but Springsteen was saying, you know, if he's interrupted, that could be a, you know, a number one top hit, world-changing song, like, that's kind of gone from his mind. Like, he could be crafting that, that masterpiece. Yeah, Obama likewise. You know, but they found the, the long-temperedness to take time for their kids and to realise, actually, my kids are more important. I'm grateful for friends and family who've borne with me over the years and I'm sure you are likewise. This long-temperedness is the, the backbone of friendship, of fellowship, of, of any family. We bear with each other and we, 
we believe in each other, we don't give up on each other, and we, we grow together that way. And again, God grows it by testing us. Will we love? Will we love others when they annoy us? Will we give them another chance? Will we stand firm together? I think the thing that threatens our long-temperedness, I think it's probably pride. It's thinking that the world revolves around us, or should, anyway. The light should go green when it sees me coming. Um, There's pride. And we overcome that through humility and contentment. And knowing that Christ has been ultimately patient with us. That we're, you know, we can't sort of throw stones at anyone else because we're in the same boat. He died for all of us. He went to the cross for my sins as well as all of yours. So there's no room for haughtiness or pride. So a final challenge. If someone came in, if we had visitors, if we have visitors among us this morning, can they see that there is peace and long-temperedness here? Can they see something that is of the Spirit? Is there something supernatural about our fellowship together? Is, is the harvest, the produce of the Spirit abundant? Is it, is it clear? Is it easy to see? Or, you know, are we on a par with our book group or our running group or the choir we're part of. People should be able to come in and, and see there's something different, something next level, something perplexing. What, what is it that is behind this? So final encouragement, the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, so let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let us not give up. We'll bear a harvest in due course. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage and the encouragement that you are at work in us, that the the flesh has been crucified and that you are bearing a harvest of love, of joy, of peace and long-temperedness in us. And we ask that we would be encouraged as we see that fruit in our lives and as we see it and encourage it in the lives of our brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, amen.